I am from beyond. Listen, and all you desire will be yours. Welcome to Spider-Man and the Secret Wars. Prepare for battle. Spider Knight? Alas, friend Spider-Man, by what sorcery doth small ceiling torch shine forth? It's called a light bulb. Welcome to Brattle World, I'm your host, the ever-amazing, ever-spectacular Spider-Dan, and in this podcast, I spotlight entertainment's best-kept secrets that a mainstream audience may find boring. And welcome to another edition of Spider Knights of the Round Table, where my guest and I will discuss a much-loved subject in depth in a round table manner. Welcome back, guys. We are back in full force, um, celebrating the release of the final Joker trailer, which will be out on the 3rd of October, I believe. And I have a very special guest, a very hilarious guest, a funny guest, the clown prince of comedy himself, Dan Ketis is back! I am, thank you so much for having me back on Prattle World. <laughs> you do realise that now you've said that, I won't be able to muster a single funny thing no, or you're, witticism you're, you'll be very for an dull. hour and a half. I'll you'll be, be incredible. In fact, I'm going to go out of my way to be like, <laughs> as dull as possible uh, throughout well, this podcast. Uh, just, just, just get out, just get out now. Okay. <laughs> just leave. I think the podcast would be richer for it. <laughs> what, me on my own? No. <laughs> Oh, he's always oh, he's already in he's already in character. He's already I am here. very much so. <laughs> he's here already. Uh, well, I wanted to bring you on for your comedy stylings and because of your in-depth love of all things Batman and the Joker. Very much so, yeah. And I've picked uh, a storyline which is quite an unusual storyline, but it does go in line with the new movie as we're seeing the kind of creation of the Joker from going from a kind of human being, a relatable figure to, you know, an arch villain of... Uh, maniacal proportions. Um, so this is kind of almost the reverse of that. Yeah, it's it's sanity and back again. <laughs> I like that. What a, what a, a trip. sociopath tale. <laughs> the tale of two sociopaths. <laughs> well, very, yeah, very much so. Very pretty much, much so, yeah, pretty yeah. much. Um, so welcome back. How are you? Thank you. I'm, I'm well. Thank you very much for having me. Um, it's, it's always a pleasure to talk comics with you i think in the sort of in 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 an age where everyone is a nerd yes uh and and superhero uh comics and mythologies are so much a staple now of pop culture they're mm. such a big part of our cinema our television our streaming services uh which are becoming such a big part of the way we consume media yeah. i feel like maybe comics are getting lost in the shuffle a little bit definitely definitely in fact uh, marvel 1000 has a story um by neil gaiman mm-hmm and it features Marvel Man, a character that he had a lot of input on. Yes. Um, obviously or Miracle Man. Miracle Man, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, you're right. Um, so there's been a lot of kind of, uh, there's a lot of rights issues. You can delve into that character and um, the various YouTube videos on the kind of rights issues with that. But he writes, a, he's reading, he's trying to, in this story, he's trying to uh, understand human beings. And he is looking through comics to kind of understand them through why they create these characters, why they mm-hmm. create these larger than life characters. And in it, the character and the writer Neil Gaiman says that it is a dying art form. It is. Yeah. It is. It is. Yeah. And, it's, and it's sad because 
these are the characters that have for generations defined what morality is mm. um and certainly as as a kid growing up in the 80s superman and uh, well yeah superman yeah. was my moral compass you know mm. and 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 while as much as i was drawn to comics from the christopher reeve films yeah. I, obviously, and I, obviously i was like seven year old seven sure, years yeah. old in 1989 so like though like the superman christopher reeve, christopher reeve films and the sort of michael keaton tim burton batman films were a very big part of my sort of cultural palette growing up mm. but it, it's it's those experiences that brought me to comics and and just the the nuance and complexity that you can tell in comic book stories that you can't really get elsewhere like for example i'm currently read i mean i'm taking a bit of a deviation to read the story that we're going to talk about yeah. shortly but i'm currently reading the nightfall saga mm. now when it first came out i didn't actually read it in comic book form but i read the novelization by dennis o'neill which i thought was incredibly in-depth and nuanced but you don't like you don't get anywhere near as much in terms of content as you do reading the comics because yeah. it is this very serialized art form where you're telling a story, a very singular story across several titles in a lot of cases, across a space of, you know, months or years. And uh, it's it's a really, really interesting sort of art form. But also, in the age where the MCU is kind of the dominant cultural force in our sort of zeitgeist, as yeah. it were, it's really interesting is how that has conditioned mainstream audiences to expect gratification from storytelling yes. like everything is queuing up the next issue as it were well and it's the, very interesting the marvel movies i think um i listen to the kevin smith podcast quite a bit uh, fat man on batman and mark bernardin who's the kind of co-podcaster on there he says that marvel have made us uh, made movie lovers a lover of continuity mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and that's one of the things that i that i love about comic books that one story can relate and affect and have a knock-on effect for so many years. If you look at something like The Killing Joke, yeah, yeah, appreciate it as an anti-continuity tale, but it was within the continuity. Oh, and it had massive, like, ripple in terms of, like, Barbara Gordon stopping me back and becoming yeah. Oracle. It had, like, uh, it, it stands on its own perfectly well, but it yes. had massive sort of implications for the continuity for decades. Huge, 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 huge. And her relationship to the Joker and all the all the other characters, Gordon, Commissioner Gordon, Gordon and mm-hmm. Batman, a whole, all the Robins, Nightwing, the whole Bat family was affected by that one story. It's only forty pages or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, from Alan Moore and Brian Bolland, uh, the artwork is incredible. Um, I, got, I did get it signed by Brian Bolland, I believe, a few years ago. But yeah, there you go. It's the it's the continuity, and we love continuity. And uh, you know, DC does tend to reset quite a bit, but they also do retain yeah. a lot of the continuity. Well, I think continuity is kind of a double edged sword. And sorry to deviate. I don't want to deviate too much, but I think continuity is very much a double edged sword. And I think. Uh, certainly in a, f- a few years down the line we'll get to the point where mainstream audiences find the continuity a little bit confusing yeah. and it wouldn't be surprising at all if we had some sort of crisis on infinite earths kind Type of thing, um, yeah. a, a reboot well, resetting we, we're, or... technically we're getting that on in uh, the uh, the Flaroverse or the Arrowverse oh yes of course they're, yeah, yeah. Do, they're doing a massive crossover that's based on that very event well they're putting lich- they're throwing everything but the kitchen sink in there aren't they? we're getting <laughs> so... Brandon Ralph as Kingdom Come Superman we're yes. getting Kevin Conroy as a- aging Bruce Wayne. Batman Beyond Batman out. We're getting yeah. somehow Burt Ward. They're going to stuff him into a Robin suit <laughs> at 70 yeah. odd years old. Bring it the fuck on. 
on, I'm, yes. I'm all for it. Like, I, I'll be honest, I've kind of fell out of, not favour, but kind of fell out of kind of watching, you know, five shows on the go constantly. Yeah, I mean, so I, I was I was here for, I think, Arrow season one and two and the first season of Flash, and then yeah. after that I was just kind of, yeah, I'm clearly not the target audience for this. And, yeah. and, and a lot of people are ready. I know, like, going yeah. back to Kevin Smith, he's spoken very passionately about mm. it, but it just doesn't speak to me, I'm afraid. Although, like, I do want to get into Supergirl at some point, but yeah. when I'll be able to get into that is anyone's yeah. guess. The first season of Supergirl I, I really enjoyed. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll be The main villain they had at the end... Um, I made a, I made like a post about it, and it was like, how many shits do I give about the main villain in Supergirl? And it's none because that's right. the that's the character's name. <laughs> but enough. yeah, that was that was my that was my joke. So humorous, see, comedy, comedy, uh, and that's what we're all about here. Um, but you were talking about fan fans and uh, and comic books and comic book fans. And and non comic book fans as well. Mm. Like a lot of people get in, you know, through video games now. Or yes, absolutely. Yeah, uh, cartoons or movies and various other things. And uh, they announced the new uh, part of the Disney World was the Avengers Campus. Okay, um, I think that was at D twenty three with loads of other announcements as well. And they announced that it would be called Avengers Campus. And I went and my friend was like, "Look at this! Look at this!" And I was like, "Why don't you not call it Avengers Academy? Because that's yeah, yeah, a that's, comic. That's, that's a comic title. That's a comic. It's got a literal." which Stanley loved you know why not and they were like and my friend was like well they don't want any bloody sweaty nerds there do they because you know they're not going to do stuff from the comics and I went it's all from the comics like that's the main demographic you know I fa- you know, fair enough you've got kids and families and stuff the main demographic is people that love that shit oh they're taking our babies from us Dan what are we going to do and I was they're just taking like, our babies and he's making, he's making fun of me for, for loving it I was like you're a fucking nerd as well you're a yeah, fucking yeah. sweaty nerd nerds. as well because you love the movies That you love it that makes you a nerd and you sweat so you're a sweaty nerd <laughs> as, as much as I'm opposed to sort of gatekeeping and it does upset me a little bit when people say pick up a fucking comic book bruh as much as I'm opposed to sort of that yeah. kind of mentality, I think. I think we we, we need to embrace the fact yes. that we are all nerds now, and we yeah. need to embrace the impact that these these characters, these kinds of mythologies, and this this mode of storytelling have yeah. had on our popular culture because. It's not going away. Even if superheroes go away altogether anytime soon, like this idea of shared universes and shared continuities, I don't envisage that going away anytime soon. No, no. Even if it's even if it comes uh, comes out in things other than superhero movies, I think mm. I think we will get a lot more emphasis on this version of shared continuities, shared universes, and this idea of so even this idea of multi telling stories across various media. Yes, you know, yeah, yeah. like which we're seeing a lot of in we're seeing a lot of sort of comics based on video games now mm. um, including one of probably the best DC comics of the decade which is the Injustice series oh my god so good I've only read the first three years of the Injustice comic but I binged them in about a day it's so days. good it is so good it's, it's so bingeable and it's like very accessible as well for mm. new fans um, like they're there, but they're kind of introduced to the characters. It's not it's not unaccessible in a way that some some DC um, properties are, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. in certain continuities. Well, but, that's it's, and again, that's why I say continuity is double edged sword because yeah. the Injustice continuity is very much its own like pocket universe, like the Arkham games. Mm-hmm. Like the Arkham games are very much a kind of like a mishmash of the animated series and the Nolan films and the Burton films and mm-hmm. a little bit of the comic as well and it's all kind of like hodgepodge into its own little self-contained continuity but yeah it's 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 cool 
It's yeah, cool. It is. It's all. It's all good stuff. It's all. It is all. It's all good stuff. It's all good stuff. Spam, spam, and both spam. No, I was going for League of Gentlemen. Oh, you sorry. You, oh, you sorry. went full Python. So I went full. I mean, I mean, it's only a hop, skip, and a jump away, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so let's get back on track. There's some good stuff. That's some good stuff. Thank but you. Let's uh, let's get back to the Joker. The Joker movie is coming out. Yes. Um, initially, I, I I wasn't too keen on the idea of having a solo Joker movie. Yeah. No, I, I understand. But that. but and and I'm sure we'll discuss it in a little bit further but but I, I saw the final trailer that was released recently mm-hmm. and I'm up for it. Yeah yeah I'm you know it's produced by Martin Scorsese, directed by Todd Phillips of Hangover and Road Trip Fame. Uh you know that's some there's some you know some genuine comedy kind of background. Yeah. So and it's very much it looks like it's very much inspired by kind of taxi driver. Oh yeah yeah King, big time. Of, King of comedy Mean those Streets kind of, Mean Streets yeah. yeah all of that and and I think that's a really good fit for Gotham itself. Oh big time yeah yeah yeah. Um, so I'm very excited to kind of sit and uh, I think you know Joaquin Phoenix looks very unique and his take on it might be maybe one of the best who knows absolutely yeah I mean I'm very wary of this term definitive yes um, because I think I well at least I hope I hope that um, we're going to see more of Jared Leto's version of the Joker Mm. and I'm happy for him to be our sort of in-universe Joker yeah Um, I know that the Joker is going to have an appearance of some sort in Birds of Prey I don't think he's going to be Leto himself but it's going to be very much modelled on that type of Joker okay Um, and that's that's the beauty of these comic book characters is they're so malleable they can be whatever you want them to be and mm. the the reason they've survived this long as mm. we've we've talked about at length in various podcasts yeah. is the fact that they they lend themselves so well to interpretation and reimagination and every decade has its own Joker. Like I grew up in the sort of age where Cesar Romero was my Joker, and then mm. Jack Nicholson was my Joker, and the holy shit, here's this guy Heath Ledger, yeah, who I wow. only knew from Brokeback Mountain, and mm. and and then for 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 the kids who were who are now sort of in their sort of mid to late twenties, he is their Joker, you know, and and it's it's really interesting to see how different sort of cultural media serve as sort of mirrors for these fictional characters, and and we sort of process them and reinterpret them as audiences in different ways mm. uh, and I've sort of gone on a bit of a tangent where I'm not quite sure but right. yes I'm very much looking forward to this uh, Joaquin Phoenix yeah. version of the Joker mm. um, I think it's going to be a an interesting character study mm. and like I just want to sort of address because a lot of people are preparing to be annoyed or, or or outraged or upset by this notion of but the Joker also I think there's people preparing for going Oh, this is Oscar worthy. This is this, and I'm, so yeah. I think there's two ends of the spectrum, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think there's there's some. I think there's something to be said for people being like angry that it's not this, but I mean, I mean, a lot of people. I mean, I didn't mind the the Jared Leto version. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't hate it. I, I didn't necessarily like. I wasn't bowled over because we didn't get a lot of him in Suicide Squad. There's a there's a lot that ended up on the. I mean, we did a podcast about Suicide we Squad did. back we in did. the day but uh, I, from what I understand there is a lot that was left on the cutting room mm. floor uh, Leto himself was quite upset about how much of his performance was left out of the film yeah. in the extended version which is on the Blu-ray um, there is more of it yeah. um, and it is it is all good so, I mean like say what you will about Jared Leto he's a, he's a he's a good actor yeah, he's, a, he he's, an, he's an incredibly accomplished actor yeah. um, and Dallas Buyers Club yeah yeah exactly alone, yeah. yeah and 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 um, Requiem for a Dream yeah. Yeah. It's all good stuff, dear. Uh, but <laughs> but what 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 excites me is this idea of 
showing Main Shimori says, okay, this is our main continuity guy. Mm. This is our, if you will, Elseworlds guy. Yeah. And I and and I think studios, movie studios in particular, have been very sort of shy of. Well, we can't have concurrent continuities. I remember um, there was a thing a few years ago about how no, we absolutely cannot have Harley Quinn in the Arrowverse. Right. Um, and because, then, and yeah. but now we've got sort of concurrent. We've got Superman on on the big screen, and we've got Superman on the small screen. Like people, yeah. people are coming around to the fact that no, it's, it's fine. We can have different interpretations of these characters. Sort this of in is, this the is pop what culture I, conversation at the same this, time. This is what I always thought DC should have done because, like. Like these these characters are so iconic. Denny O'Neill describes Batman like Hamlet. There's so many in different interpretations yes. that can be made of a classic character. Yes. And I, I think that instead of that I know DC tried to follow the, the Marvel route of the shared universe and that and that makes sense. You know, I totally I totally mm. agree. But I thought, why not do alter like a lot of the best DC stories, in my opinion, tend to be elseworld stories or stories that are out of continuity yeah for the for the most part i mean the, there are a lot it's still in continuity which are great but a lot of them are outside of continuity red sun you know dark Knight returns all those sort of stuff yeah, yeah so why not do them why not have every two years another actor gets to to play that hamlet yes you know because it's it's a part you share it's yeah, not yeah. it's not a part that is is entirely you like yes heath ledger's joker is amazing i like jack nicholson's joker it doesn't make it any worse or, or less or no i think, I think and as well i think we do have this sort of uh and and i know that like a lot of the sort of i mean i used to write for cbr so i know i know what it's like to like have this pressure to sort of like categorize and denigrate and reduce everything to a listicle of who are the best yeah, at doing exactly, something yeah. it's like and i think that's a bit of a does a bit of a disservice to i mean I, I like eating and having a roof over my head so i did it but like <laughs> i i think that does denigrate this idea of okay you could you personally can think this is the best but everything like it's that stan yeah. lee thing every comic is somebody's first comic and yes. every every interpretation of a character mm. is their first interpretation and they will naturally gravitate towards that because that's yeah. the one they grew up with yeah. a new one might come along mm. that they prefer yeah. but that first one will always like, like their first love will always have a Special there's, place in you know, heart. there's elements. There's elements of the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies I like. There's elements of the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies I like. There's elements of the Tom Holland uh, movies I like. Yes, that D- doesn't invalidate them. It, it doesn't make any of them worse. I, yeah, you know what I mean. And I, it, it, especially, I, I think, that. I think, I think, just to just to go on a bit of a tangent because mm. I think I, I've been seeing a lot of. I, I try and stay quite active on Twitter mm. just to sort of like see what the sort of mood is in the in the geeky sort of milieu. Mm. And I, I've seen a lot of people talking about Spider-Man recently. Ah, yes. <laughs> and um, we'll, we'll get to what I'm going to in a minute. But like yeah. a lot of people sort of categorizing Spider-Man, I really don't think that they're, they're comparable. Yeah, I think I think they're very different. I mean, like you look there's at no, there's no aggre- aggregate. Really. No, there isn't. And 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 everyone has brought something new to the table. And 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 I think I think when you get the same thing, like I think. We're conditioned to want the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah. That's why that's why people queue up to go to McDonald's or Starbucks. Yeah. We're, we're conditioned to want the same thing because we have a finite amount of money and we want to know what we're getting for yes. it. And I yeah. get that. But I think when you get the same thing again and again and again, that's when things stagnate. Mm. And so I want different interpretations of different yeah. things. And, 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 like... As much as it might be sort of, it might gall me that we're, we're probably not going to see Ben Affleck as Batman again, or, yeah. or, 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 or I mean, I'm really keeping my fingers 
and toes crossed that we'll see Henry Cavill as Superman again. Um, but like as much as I do, so, there are things that I want to see endure in the sort of pop culture conversation. Mm. Yeah. We we I don't think we benefit, and I certainly don't think the, these characters benefit from more of the same over and over and over and over again. Mm. And and I think as as generations sort of grow older and more cognizant of what's going on in pop culture, I think we do need to have different reinterpretations of these characters because otherwise they'll go the way of like I don't know the phantom yeah. or the shadow yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, where yeah. they're like there are people who know and love those characters but you know they're not, you in, the, they're not in the social conscious well yeah you're not going to catch any like 13 year old kids having like arguments over who's better the shadow or the spider you know yeah. <laughs> Green Hornet, or yeah, something exactly. Like that. Yeah, I mean they're all they're all they're all very good, and they all they've all got their own kind of popular comic book series as well currently. Yeah, yeah. But again, only for fans of those yes, characters very much from so. from years gone by. And and also like the Rocketeer, I think was recently cancelled just because there wasn't the audience demand from it. And that's just really sad. Because... Yes. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Joe Johnston, the director of Captain America: The First Avenger, he did the original Rocketeer. Possibly, that's possibly. I think other than the original Thor, I think the First Avenger is one of the most underrated Marvel films. I really, I got so much affection for yeah. that film. I absolutely love like, the frame of it. Like, I, I understand that. It, I mean, there's, it's not, there's not issues with it, but it does. It feels quite lengthy. I think there's a lot of stuff going on. Maybe not as many action pieces as people would like, mm. but that made me fall in love with Captain America yeah, yeah, all yeah. over again because I, I got his journey. I understood his journey. I felt with him. Well, I felt him. You know, his journey all the way through. Uh, understand his plight. Maybe yeah. There's a. There's a it's not a perfect movie, but I I do I do love it. I love so, it. I so absolutely much, love so it. So much of subsequent films works because they made you fall in love yeah. with Skinny Steve. Yeah. You know who who knew that would be the best Marvel trilogy? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I will categorically say pound for that, pound. Yeah. That is that is the strongest trilogy in the Marvel Universe. You know, we can't say about Guardians yet or, you know, whatever what is coming, you know. We don't even know about the future of Spider-Man. That's still uncertain. Um, <laughs> Tangents are the norm on Prattle World. Yes. <laughs> We've not even talked about the Joker, really, yet. Uh, <laughs> but just just before we do, I yes. want to just... Obviously, um, we have had a very big piece of Spider-Man news. Obviously, yes, um, yes. At the time of recording, because mm. I, I, do, I do think this is subject to change. Yeah, um, of course, But yeah. um, Marvel Studios or Disney... And Sony have not come to terms uh, on an extension of the Spider-Man contract. Mm -hmm. So it's looking like we will still get films with Tom Holland and Zendaya. So any um, any Spider-Man related characters that Sony owns, they they have control of. Yeah. You won't. You won't get a John Favreau. No. You won't get a. You know. Poor a ta- Aunt May loses yeah. her, loses her yeah, stable know, relationship. Right? It's just gone. Um. So any links, you know, any hints or anything to the MCU are totally gone. You know, that's still. I mean, I, I'm not sure the director's still involved. There's that's still a bit. Yeah, that at the seems moment. up in the air at the minute. We'll see. We'll see. I hope he is because I think he's very good. I think he does a good job. Um. I feel bad. I feel the worst for Tom Holland at the moment because he was riding high. His film made a billion dollars. You know, he's he's in a great place. He's Spider Man. He's he's known the world over. He's doing things like the uh, the current war. Um, you know, he's getting all that kind of work. Some great quality work outside of the MCU as well. He's doing a Disney movie. Uh, you know, Pixar movie. So I feel I feel worse for him than than all of the fans. I but, think. I mean, from what I gather, he's still he's still. 
he's still Spider. Like, yeah, still still, Spider-Man. there are still plans for him to he's still go ahead and be Spider-Man mm. in films. And I think I think the main thing is they want to tie. I think the main reason they want to tie Venom because Venom made a lot of money. Whether you like it Accidentally. or not. Accidentally. <laughs> Whether you like it or not, Venom, Venom made a lot of money. And I, want, I think they want to have their Venom Spider-Man story. Yeah. And fair enough. I get I don't, it. I don't, I don't, like, just, uh, like, I don't dislike Venom. No. I've given it, I've, I've given it a bit of shit yeah. because it's not, a, it's not as good a film as maybe, it, well, maybe it's as good a film as it deserves to be because, <laughs> like, Venom is very much one of those sort of, he's one of those products of sort of like late 80s, early 90s comic excess. Yeah, and, exactly. and obviously yeah. the comic run we're going to talk about yeah. is very yeah, yeah. very much of its time and as someone who's been reading a lot of uh, as again reading a lot of 90s comics fire nightfall yeah um there is kind of that it, it's like it's kind of like suicide much, squad much it has a, a kind of yeah it kind of has like a sort of punk sensibility to it where i can kind of forgive the ways in which it doesn't conform to what a quote-unquote good film is yeah um i i do need to rewatch that one yeah. to be fair to i be fair. i i went in with like the lowest of expectations yeah, yeah. and i came out pleasantly surprised but yes yeah, so i i'm i'm i believe there's still a deal that can be done um i think the only reason that spider-man made that much money is because it was connected to the MCU. I don't think your average fan of your average MCU fan would have gone to see a Spider-Man movie like if it's not connected to the MCU. I'm not sure about that. Yeah. Like I I I think I certainly think the I think the, a co- maybe a comic book fan would go and see a Spider-Man movie, but I don't think the regular necessarily the regular going audience would I think, necessarily I think go see Spider-Man it. definitely has enough sort of cultural currency. Oh yeah. Um Spider-Man in terms of merchandising outsells every other superhero like mm-hmm. it, I think the, the 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 only one that comes close is Batman but like the difference is leaps and bounds yeah like kids kids especially love Spider-Man yeah and because he's just such a a, a relatable character who kids mm. can project themselves onto. Yeah, of course. And we talked, I think, about like how the mask covers his face, so Spider-Man can be anyone. Yeah. Going back to the whole like um, into the Spider-Verse thing, yeah. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, you can put Any, on the mask. Anybody can put on the mask. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Uh, Spider-Man can be black. He can be Latin. He can be Asian. He can be well, woman. He, yeah, whatever yeah. you want. So long as you, so long as you embrace this idea of like power and responsibility becoming incrementally, yes, that's always going to be a good sort of maxim. Yeah. Um. So I think like Spider Man will always have cultural currency. I think the MCU thing certainly helps because we have been conditioned as consumers, and when we sit in a in a in a cinema, that's what we are. We are consumers. We have been conditioned to be loyal to brands. Mm. To a certain to a certain extent, I think we don't even watch films anymore. We we become brand advocates, yeah. um, and as someone who writes a lot about branding as as for a living, it's kind of scary how how we are becoming kind of tribal in our brand allegiances. Mm. Uh, and as much as I am a massive sort of yeah. DCU fanboy slash apologist, yeah. I am very cognizant of the fact that we really need to think about like tribalism and how we how how much we advocate for brands and say, okay, well. I'm sticking my flag on this brand. Everything else sucks, <laughs> <laughs> which is, unfortunately seems to be the discourse for uh, quite a lot, a lot of yeah, a lot of people. Uh, fandom and I think, I think the, the Marvel the Marvel DC war goes on. I think there was um, I was saying to you earlier there was some sort of ad or something. I've not seen it myself, but there's an ad, a DC ad of some kind dissing 
um, Thanos and kind of praising Darkseid as a character. And I was like, the war continues. <laughs> but I, I mean, the thing is, I mean, not to be all sort of in my day, everything was awesome because yeah. I grew up in the sort of 80s and 90s, so mm. obviously not. <laughs> the Iraq war. Um, but like, it seemed that there was kind of a, a good natured aspect to the sort of DC yeah. Marvel. Like, there were, uh, Marvel called DC the Distinguished Competition. Yeah, and I remember, I remember, do you know what it is? I remember, I think it might have been on the Daredevil DVD special mm. features or maybe the first Spider-Man, one of the two. There was an interview with Joe Casada, and he was saying that, like, we're the sort of hot-blooded Latin family of comics, whereas we're at DC they're all very sort of waspish and very prim and proper. <laughs> that um, sounds about right. Yeah, but, like, but how, like be passionate one way or the other, yeah. that's absolutely fine. If you're yeah. a passionate DC fan, that's absolutely fine. Cool. If you're a passionate yeah. Marvel fan, great. But, yeah. like, apathy is death as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and exactly, yeah. That always stuck with me for some reason. Mm. But it's like... I'm. I think we're sort of equal because I'm like sixty percent DC, yeah. and forty percent Marvel. And but I will like I I am totally in love with both, yeah. And I will show up and open. I think I think I'm anything. the same. I think I'm the same percentage, just the other way. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we'll, we'll both show up for anything from the other camp. Oh, yeah. Either way, uh, on opening night. But we are we are we have a slight bias one way or the other. Mm. Um, but it's it's just interesting how we have been conditioned to sort of. Um, not so much consume media or consume art mm. as align ourselves with brands and that kind of worries me a little bit because we, we live in an age where marketing now is marketing is the content almost yes. like yeah, yeah. We, we, whenever a new trailer for something drops we get a whole news cycle around that mm. and because news outlets uh, again I wrote for CBO I know news outlets need clicks that's how they get paid that's how they pay their writers and so that is a cycle that has to perpetuate itself otherwise it just becomes it just stops Hmm. and in an age where we have that kind of economy and where in an age where you know people are people are making a living from playing video games in their rooms yeah. and getting patreons like it's just a very very interesting economy mm. uh, and, and and again like people make a living off the value of their brand and mm. I, know, I know that's how it's always been yeah. but like the digital age has become this sort of like great leveler of how um, we can all sort of like we can all be our own brand and commoditize that brand and it's just very interesting and I know I'm going on a massive tangent, <laughs> right, but no, like good, this idea good. of you're either DC or you're either Marvel, and this and 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 as someone yeah. spends a lot of time on Twitter, just seeing so much, oh DC's shit or yeah. or or Marvel. There's a, there's a lot of vitriol. Yeah, yeah. Or, or like oh if you like the MCU, you're that's basically the McDonald's of cinema, and it's just. Yeah, don't no. don't sh- don't shit on what I love for no reason at all. Yeah, yeah. and uh, like just because something's popular doesn't mean it doesn't have artistic merit. Yeah. And just because something, uh, just cause something's like brand Take B it, is taking a chance. Yeah, yeah and just because brand risk. B is less popular than brand A doesn't mean there's no artistic merit in that yeah. either. Pepsi and Coke are both still going strong. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly, you know, exactly. None is none is necessarily better than the other. It's just it's a product of an opinion, mm-hmm. and that is your own thing. It's your own opinion, and in some cases, you should keep it to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> but sorry, Joker. Yes. Yes. Very, anyway, speaking very, of speaking of opinions, we're going to tell you ours. That, yeah. Very <laughs> very excited for Joker. I'm very excited for um, just seeing a film that is where I don't have to worry about continuity. I don't yeah. have to worry about oh, I remember this note from the comics. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very much looking forward to um, 
we're taking the basic premise of this character yep. and we're putting it in a, a framework that you may not be used to consuming. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And and I think the director even said that we've not taken any inspiration from the comics, which uh, could be good or could be ill. We don't know. We haven't seen the movie. Um, but let's talk about Batman going sane. Yes, yes, let's do that. Yeah, We, we kind of buried the lead on this. A little we, bit, we're yeah. We've not actually... Mer- like mention that mentioned at it at all. Not mentioned it at all. So this is a, I think it's an early 90s, mid 90s comic yes. in Legends of the Dark Knight uh, by J.M. DeMatteis and Joe Statton yes. uh, was the artist on it. And this was uh, Batman Legends of the Dark Knight, Volume 1, Issues 65 to 68. So only Did uh, Klaus Janssen have... Uh, was he a colorist on it? or Possibly. Possibly. It's very Klaus Janssen-esque. There's kind of a dark nightiness to the artwork. There is but, yeah. very much that. So, so J.M.D. Demetrius wrote... Uh, uh, Craven's Last Hunt. Yes. He is known for doing these kind of uh, deep dives into the psychology of the villains. Like, yes, very much so. He's really, really good. Uh, I read a, uh, one of his amazing Spider-Man issues about the Vulture. Um, he accidentally killed off Aunt May's lover and uh, Nathan Lubensky. And he comes back and he basically is he's going to die of cancer. And he's ended up um, kind of tailing off all the things that he needs to do before he dies. And he goes and he, he uh, Spider-Man thinks he's going to kill her. But he's actually apologising for his death because he used to be a friend of his as well. Okay. Um, some really good stories. He, he writes... I mean, he does heroes great as well. Yeah, not, yeah. not just villains. But Craven's Last Hunt is, is a comic book masterpiece and one of the best Spider-Man stories ever written. And it's, it, you know, it's not even really about Spider-Man. It's more about Craven, this second-tier villain. Anyway, so this story is basically... What if Batman died? What would the Joker do? Mm. So, you know, how would he, you know, because the, the relationship they have is very much like the two opposites. They're, they're in this constant clash, um, order, chaos, good, evil. You know, the, they exist. They're both this in this perpetual war of good and evil. But what happens if one just goes away? Or yeah, yeah. One's, and in the story, it's not spoilers because it happens in the first issue. Uh, Joker seemingly kills off Batman. Uh, we see, uh, we see basically the Joker decides. I, I don't. I mean, you can take it either way. Either he goes back to who he was prior to falling into the vat of acid. The the Joker's never really had a set origin. So much like in The Dark Knight with Heath Ledger, he comes up with a different story every time, how he got these scars and how he became who he was. So uh, in this, I'm I'm not necessarily sure if we're going back to... This. So in the comics, there's very, various iterations of the origin. But in this one, I, I, I personally believe he creates a new personality. I believe he creates a new iteration of himself to deal with the loss of Batman. It's the, the loss of... Uh, it's almost a love... I mean, in some in- interpretations of the joke, he is a loved one, is a, almost a... A, you know, a, a homosexual kind of, you know, homoerotic love for Batman. Depends on the writer, depends on the depiction of the character. Um, but I think the the loss of that uh, and the end of the game, so to speak, has created a character who's, he, he names himself Joseph Kerr. Get it? Joker. Um, so, so he becomes basically, he's just a, an average regular guy. He tends to like, you know, old comedy, you know, Laurel and Hardy, Chaplin, all that sort of stuff. But he's generally just your average, literally, an average Joe. And and that's where the story goes. Now, I want to ask you, Dan, do you think the Joker... Do you see the Joker as a character? Or do you see him more as a kind of... 
um, you know, a force of nature. A condition. Like, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's just like, he does he just come along and he's just chaos incarnate and does he just tear stuff up? Do, do we need to know he's human underneath? Do we need to know his backstory? Do we need to know that he he's relatable on some level? Um, I'm kind of torn because I do like the sort of... Um, this idea of the Joker is a force of nature. It doesn't matter where he came from. It doesn't matter what his origins are. Um, and again, there's the whole, like, quite a lot of the controversy with the current trailer is, should we be sympathising with the Joker? And mm. I think um, the, a lot of the problem is the fact that we we use the terms protagonist and hero interchangeably in our culture. And that's that's kind of a big sort of cultural mistake that we're all making. But also, I think the world and society progresses when we do empathise with the monster and we do sort of understand. Interestingly, I'm re- I'm listening to a podcast at the moment which delineates the sort of differences between Eastern and Western thought in terms mm-hmm. of we in the West thinking ver- in terms of very binary, good and bad, you Log- know, logical. righteous and evil. Yeah. Um, but but in Eastern uh, mentalities, it's not quite as straightforward as that. And it's, it's, it's this idea of who you are is not in a vacuum. It's not a fundamental thing. Like you, you aren't born good, um, which is absolutely true. Hmm. Uh, you are, you become good or bad as a result of external influences. That might be your upbringing. It might be something that happens to you personally. It might be something you experience. It might be so certain proclivities that arise in childhood. But this idea, like I, I'm not, I'm certainly, I certainly don't think that we shouldn't empathize with the Joker. Hmm. Uh, I think I don't think the there's this weird sort of oversimplification that yeah. empathising with the Joker means we condone the things we, he does, which no. is bollocks. Yeah. <laughs> it's just total nonsense. So um, I, I, what I what I think is really interesting is this idea of... I mean, the story's called Going Sane. Yes. Um, this idea of pinning our, our mania on an external... Like, I think it's a very Jungian thing, this idea of mm. pinning our mania on an external tormentor. And when that is taken out of the picture, we are suddenly... Uh, uh, free and and what happens in this story is the Joker seemingly kills Batman and I I, I when I first read this I thought oh it's Legends of the Dark Knight an out of continuity thing and it, mm. it turns out it was it's in continuity but it's like an early years yeah, thing it's, yeah so it's you can much... you can basically tell whatever story you want as long as everything snaps back to normal by the end yeah it's usually I think it's kind of like just shortly after kind of year one yeah in yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. of year two or it's year a year three. two kind of thing yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of thing so um, so uh, that that when I read that that kind of made sense. Um, I really like this idea of sort of what is Joker without Batman, you know, mm. and and in in so many iterations, Joker is a direct result of Batman. Yes, you know, ideologically and physically, you know, he's knocked into the acid by Batman. Mm. Uh, that's the one. That's the one kind of constant in all the origins is mm-hmm. that it's the Red Hood guys. He falls into the acid. We don't know who he is because he's wearing the Red Hood, so yes. we have no idea who who he could be. So again, he could be anybody. He can be Jack Napier. He mm-hmm. can be a Joseph Kerr. He can be whatever the character's name is in the Joaquin Phoenix version. Um, Arthur Fleck. Arthur Fleck. There you yeah, go. Yeah. So yeah, so it could be anybody. That's the kind of one the one thing is the bleaching of the skin and the madness but that is it everything else is subject to whatever the writer deems and, and and that like the um this notion of like the joke being something that you can like scrub off with 
with like surgery or and they've done the same thing with Two-Face to be fair I think uh, in the the kind of like hush era yeah yeah they did the same thing with Two-Face this idea of well if we fix and it's a very very western thing if we fix the outside because mm. we're so appearance orientated it's in also, our culture it, it, it does a Two-Face it comes up quite a lot actually it comes up in Dark Knight Returns as well mm-hmm. you go, oh we've treated oh, course, him yeah, mentally yeah, yeah. treated him mentally we've also given them surgery and it's like no it's, that doesn't fix the problem so. yeah yeah exactly and, and, and what I I, um, what I really appreciate about reading the book is just this little moment, and it's a page, I think, or half a page, and it's just little panels where you see the same facial expression, and then you see almost this like involuntary twitch of the mouth where he yeah. just like, like he goes into a smile mode and then just goes back into a sort of neutral facial expression. I was like, oh, well, that's really powerful. Mm. This idea of the idea that Joker's a sort of neurological compulsion that he just yeah. kind of... Can you can't, you, like yeah, you can, yeah, you can change the colour of your skin and your face. You can't change this like this little thing that's inside. But like, I also liked how... Um, Jim Dimitris, like you said, he he's a he's a big fan of like getting under the skin of the characters. And I remember mm. when we talked about um, when we talked about Craven's Last Hunt. There's mm. this bit with the spiders yeah. converging on Peter Parker and this idea of like sort of being consumed by your totem, yeah. if you like. Um, quite a few dream sequences in this story where Joker or, or Joseph Kerr. Yeah. Uh, w- w- remind me, I need to talk about that. Um, he's he's having these nightmares where he's seeing this big bat and you think oh okay he's having nightmares about Batman and then you realise no the bat has a clown's face and he's having nightmares about Batman and Joker being locked in they're kind yeah. of interchangeable almost they're locked into this struggle together mm. and I think what this this these four issues do really well is sort of underline the inherent tragedy and and how doomed both characters yeah. are and how they're not imprisoned by each other they're mm. imprisoned within themselves yeah. but they are each other's catalysts mm. and i think like they have exactly the same arc you know like i think because you've got Joe Joker falling in love with this woman and starting mm. a, a life, and they have common interests, and and interestingly in the artwork, mm. everything starts off very sort of comic booky, very nineties comic booky. Yeah, yeah, everything's yeah, yeah. like jagged lines and mm. and and primary vivid primary colors. Yeah. Uh, but then when he goes sane in the second issue, um, everything's very very neutral color palette, and the lines soften a little mm. bit. Uh, and I was just like, oh, okay, I like that. I appreciate yeah. that. It's that's definitely like it's an artistic choice to do that. I oh think. yeah, big time. And and I think I'm pretty sure in the second issue we see up until the final page. I'm pretty sure we don't see any Batman. No, like, we don't. It is purely. A, jo- a Joseph Kerr book. Yeah. Um, and I really enjoyed... Basically, Batman disappears, presumed dead, um, for this length of time. And I, I, I genuinely thought they killed him off, because yeah. I, I thought it was out of continuity. Because he was out of continuity, so like, yeah. Oh, okay. And that would have been, been interesting as well. That's interesting to see as well. But in, yeah, so we see Jim Gordon, you know... Um, you know, every so often we'll turn on turn on the bat signal and then sadly turn it off. You've got oh, Alfred. Yeah, Alfred rattling Alfred, around in, oh, the, God, in the, so the mansion in the cave. There's, there's a shot of Alfred or this you know, panel of Alfred and he's just stood there with all the trophies, all the costumes, the Batmobile and everything, and he's just so he, morose. And he's just going through the motions, isn't he? He's just yeah. tired and everything. So that's the only way you can deal with... Yeah, and, it, and it's this is like his biggest... Like, this is like Alfred's biggest fear that mm-hmm. he's let down, you know, Thomas and Martha. Yes. And he's let the little their little boy go off and do this m- mad obsession 
you know, this that's what we're talking about, is that it's not just the Joker who goes sane. Mm-hmm. Batman has a has a portion of this story where he questions his quest, his desire for justice and vengeance, because he kind of gets a, a taste of the normal life. Yeah, and they both kind of fall in love in a way. Yeah, as well, uh, yeah. And, and as well, like, it's interesting how he falls in love with a doctor, um, yes. Who, who? But also, she is um, a rape survivor. Yeah. Uh, and and I think she's a real like phenomenally like I think both the women in the stories are phenomenally mm. interesting characters. And I'm just betraying myself as an enormous misogynistic prick. So I can't remember their names because <laughs> um, they're not. So it's they're it's, not characters I'm used to seeing. And don't I feel worry, really don't bad worry, about don't it. worry. I've got their names. I've written Thank them you down so much. because I also forgot their names. Um, so it's it's Rebecca Brown That's is it. is the lady that falls in love with the Joker. Yes. And Lynn Eagles. Dr. Lynn Eagles is the woman who That's saves it, Batman. Dr. From, Eagles, yes. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Dr. Lynn Eagles is who you're just talking about. Please carry on. Um, so, yeah, that's um, it's, it's really interesting how they kind of... Uh, she she tells this really sort of impassioned monologue about how um, she grew up in the suburbs and the city was like this big, exotic, scary, exciting place. And then she went there and then this horrible, uh, this horrible thing happened to mm. her. And then she went, she built herself up to the point where she was able to go back and then something similar happened. Mm. But then Batman stopped it. Mm. And I think that's that's the that's the sort of pivotal moment for Bruce where he realises Batman's not just about me. Yeah. Like if, if Batman was just my sort of uh, coping mechanism, yeah. then I this would be a good time for me to hang up my cape. But yeah. Batman means something to people like as as violent and as sort of extreme as Batman needs to be, and as much as I think if Batman existed in our society, I think we'd be quite condemning of him. Yeah. Um, it's it's really interesting. It's like no, no, Batman's not just about me anymore. No. Like if I hang up my cape, this could happen again to mm. people, and and people will and 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 people will associate Gotham with. All the bad thing, and and what I really appreciate about that monologue that um, the Doctor Eagles gives is mm. she says about I love I love the the cafes I love the bookstores yeah. I love the theaters like there's so much to love about Gotham yeah. but without Batman all you see is the crime all yeah. you see is the the bad stuff you know exactly. and, and uh, at least that they have really that, spoke to me they have that figure they have that legend they have that myth that scares the criminals you know the the superstitious <laughs> and cowardly lot we we have that and 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 that's I mean, we we always have the like Spider Man's famous for it questioning the quest. You know, why yeah, yeah. should I go on? Why should Spider Man be? You know, Spider Man no more. You know, all that sort of stuff. And they're always they always come back to you know the reason they do it and the re and they get reminded by somebody. You know, uh, Spider Man no more is quite a famous story. He bumps into somebody who looks like Uncle Ben. He saves Uncle him from a group of muggers and that mm. inspires him to come back and battle the kingpin for the first time. And I think it's really important to have that journey to, to have that question. And it's really I think it's really effective in this story because you're also getting the 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 Joker story as well and the and the the other side of it. And I'd argue that in this story like before like the first issue is very much a standard kind of Batman Joker story. It's very much like Joker turns up, kills some people, does some stuff. Standard what you expect, and what you want from a kind of Batman Joker story. But yeah. also, sorry, sorry to interrupt. No, but I ahead. think I think what uh, Dimitris does incredibly well is mm. it was the first time I've been genuinely disturbed by something the Joker does in a long yeah. time, and and it's 
one of the tame like paradoxically it's one yeah. of the tamest thing the Joker's done, done where he's just sitting in the cinema watching this sort of Buster Keaton I think marathon with yeah. um, with his hostage I the think it's Councilwoman Kenner Catherine Kenner yeah, yeah yeah and he just starts punching her in the face and she mm. sort of drops down and he just keeps punching her yeah. and I was just kind of like really just disturbed yeah uh, and that because that's that's the violence we can all relate to you mm. know like that we, we can't relate to sort mm. of like you know uh, tying up a, a, a teenage boy yeah. and blowing him up you know in beating him with a crowbar but um, we can res- relate yeah. to just seeing someone getting beaten up and yeah. like even though she survives and is perfectly fine it's just this 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 incredibly sort of almost intimate portrayal of violence yeah. which we're not real we're used to seeing yeah. a kind of um a balletic almost dancey kind of violence yeah like yeah. for example one of my favorite comic books ever is um the long halloween yeah and we we see panel after panel of joker being punched in the face and his teeth going flying yeah, yeah. everywhere but he still has the exact same number of teeth yeah. we're not used to see like we're not used to seeing um frankness in comic book violence and like yeah. that was one of the most frank depictions of comic book violence I'd seen in a long time. It just sort of like gave me pause because I, I always I always think of um when I saw Zack Snyder's Watchmen. Yes. And that, that opening scene with uh, the comedian and his attacker. Yes. I won't spoil that, but uh the attacker and and that is very balletic. Mm-hmm. But it's a really violent it's a it's a brutal fight, but it is yes. very balletic. And it's... that's that's something I really love about the film is the yeah. the way in which it, it it doesn't it doesn't skimp on the sort of the the glorification that we get from the mm. comics, but it doesn't shy yeah. away from the violence either. So it, yeah. it gives that really wonderful juxtaposition. I could talk about that film for for a whole of the podcast. I'm sure we could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll please, sa- we'll please save invite that. me to talk about. We'll that. Say, we'll save that. But um, when the, when the story starts off, as I was saying earlier, that Batman is very really overtly angry and aggressive and determined and obsessed to get the Joker back behind bars to capture him. He's punching computer screens, his own, like, million-dollar computer screens. He's, you know, all this sort of stuff. And it, it's very kind of, like, doggedly determined, but it's also kind of... It's so much so that it's not really relatable. It's kind of like he's so mad, he's so angry. It's so. it's a much less restrained Batman yeah. than we're used to seeing in this day and age. It's, yeah, it's very much... I, I mean, it, it could... I mean, it's probably... Maybe it's J.M. Demetrius saying maybe, maybe Batman, at, at this point is too dark maybe it's too aggressive too grim and gritty maybe he's trying to pull it back or maybe put a, a spotlight you know he's he could be making an examination of 90s comics because there was a lot of that in 90s oh yeah big time because that's what sold that's yeah, yeah, what yeah. was big um, so maybe that was his version. You know, uh, Kingdom Come was very famous for having uh, was it Gog or Magog? Magog, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was a version of Cable, which was one of the archetypal kind of nineties characters. Big muscles, big guns, big pouches, lots of pouches, big violence, <laughs> big exactly. everything. Yeah, Tiny, yeah. you know, poorly drawn feet. Um, <laughs> You know, possibly the wrong way around. So, so yeah. So maybe that maybe there's something of that. I tend to relate more to the Joker in this, like his love for old films, mm-hmm. his love for old comedians, uh, Harold Lloyd and the Charlie Chaplin, Lauren Hardy. You know, I'm a big fan of those as well. Obviously, I don't re- re- you know relate to him beating a councilwoman to no, know, no, no. almost to death, but you know I can still you know like you said, it's not necessarily we're not condoning what he's doing, but we can relate to him trying to have a normal life, falling in love, and and having this you know beautiful you know genuine connection with somebody. But like you were saying before, when he kind of has um, Rebecca Brown, the woman he falls in love with, calls them his episodes. Yes, and you can see that he's kind of you know he's twitching, he's you know. 
getting that grin again. And the, um, the, then he gets like quite sort of um, aggressive. Yes, and he, he almost goes to because he kind of re, I think he relives the councilwoman Kenner experience. Yes, and goes to to hit Rebecca Brown. She's she kind of goes. No, I understand that he she's. She's always had problems with mental illness, mm. so she's she's understanding and supportive and loving, uh, no matter what happens. And then you know, and he asks her to marry him, and she's uh, fills a room with bouquets of flowers. Yeah, you know, it's it's lovely. What's what's I think what's incredibly bittersweet about the story is the the this idea of when it end like it, it it ends with her saying, "Oh, I I I hold out hope that he'll come back." Because yeah, uh, the the way the story phrased is sorry framed is mm. that uh, he's this uh, incredibly stormy night, mm. and she assumes that he's been swept away by floods. Yeah, uh, but she holds out hope that um that he'll come back to her mm. someday. Uh, and then you it cuts to I think the Joker in Arkham Asylum and mm. just this idea of um just sanity returning to his eye. And I think there's a thing about um uh, where Batman says like for a moment he sees sanity return to the Joker's eyes. Yeah. Um. You know, one of the one of the things I would like to talk about the artwork a little bit. Yes, um, yes, please do. One of my one of my favorite things that I didn't really notice the first time I read it. It was a, it's been a few years. I think twenty fourteen I read it originally. Okay. Um, way way back. So, and uh, what I really noticed this time round was the the green eyes the Joker has. Yeah. How how kind of you know even even though we've got the kind of normal skin tone and the in the face no grin no like maniacal grin the the green eyes really i found I, I, like they were they really grabbed me and i could see almost you know windows to the soul and everything yeah 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 big time um, and i think the the shade of green was really effective for me like it's almost the same as his hair this is the kind of light green well i think it comes back to this thing of the joker as a condition you know mm. and i think in every interpretation i've seen certainly mm. uh the the chemical which makes jack napier or the jo- whatever you want to call him the yeah. joker it's always green Hmm. Uh, so I think I think the, the the green in the eyes just sort of like goes one a little bit closer to just sort of saying yeah this is something that because when we when we when we see him in the story we, he's the Joker and yeah. then we it's a massive jump cut and then he's just this normal dude yes. um, and then the sort of the Joker kind of encroaches on his psyche and I think mm. the Joker has always kind of characterized himself as a state of mind and mm. especially in like the Nolan films he yeah. he this idea of he is uh, uh, I think you refer to himself as an an agent of chaos yeah um just this kind of he's a virus almost yeah. you know like and, and i think in every interpretation of the joke we've seen people who will follow him and mm. uh i know in, certainly from reading the injustice comics has been a lot of that this idea of people who will will sort of turn tear everything down tear mm. the infrastructure down um and i think this idea people of, just want to watch the world burn well exactly and, and but but i think Especially in this day and age, where yeah. our infrastructure is kind of decaying, like our political and moral and social infrastructure appears to be falling apart around us. Mm. This idea of okay, let's just tear it all down and then like return to our natural state um, is kind of appealing, almost. Yeah, I guess in a, in a, in a way. Uh, yeah, because the Joker's lots of, a lot to think. About. The Joker's the Joker's often referred to as an anarchist and. Uh, as anyone who's read V for Vendetta will tell you, mm. anarchy is life without government, yeah. not life chaos, without not chaos. not like not chaos, life yeah. without rules. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe um, quite a few comics have dealt with this idea of the Joker as a kind of social malady or a reaction to 
uh, a socio-political problem because again this we we as westerners cling to this fallacy of uh people fundamentally good or bad mm. and that's just not the way it works at all no. people are shaped by their circumstances Shades of gray. You know, as someone who's worked in education you see that if if, if parents are shit to their kids mm. then they'll, then they, they you know if you if you Triple raise a kid down. to the age of seven and shout at them and slap them they're gonna bully other kids when they get to that age yeah you know it's it's, it's we are shaped by the world around us and mm. our circumstances and and society politics history it all it all becomes in, interweaved and it's all part of what makes us who we are we like to believe in determinism mm. we like to believe that we are architects of our own destiny mm. but we're kind of not it kind of that there was a post not long after the first trailer for the new joker movie was released it was it was basically the, it made me laugh but it was kind of i i, I related to it it was it was like 1989 what turned someone into the joker toxic chemical what turns <laughs> 2019? What turns someone into the Joker? Toxic society. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, yeah, actually, yeah. You know, there's the clips of the film that I've seen. Like he's making a kid laugh on the bus, and uh, people are like beating him up, or you know, making fun of him, or making him feel like crap because people think he's unusual or a bit different, or you know, not not right in the head or something like that. You know, eventually that's gonna have a negative effects and also like the fact that it's set in the sort of like late 70s early 80s isn't an accident you no. know it's that era did define a kind of like tonal shift in western society towards um the corporate mm. and the normative peace but, and love had been and gone yeah. and it was all about sort of the brand and the message and, also, and individualism as well you had reaganomics in the uk and thatcherism in sorry reaganomics in the yeah. us and thatcherism yeah. in the uk and everything became about like okay accrue wealth because mm. that is the highest virtue but also like you know the there was a time where when they were going to do a a dead a new daredevil film or like a reboot daredevil film i remember that yeah and yeah, they yeah. were going to set it in hell's kitchen in the 70s and it was going to be your man uh, David Slade That's directing right. it, That's yeah, right, yeah. yeah. And they did it because Hell's Kitchen was not in a good place at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, it was the crime had increased in the seventies. You know, tenfold from from any other time in kind of American history at all. And you know, uh, and so that makes sense to me as well. Like in it, Gotham would be in a state, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. in the seventies it would be in a horrible. It would be a lot of corruption, a lot of crime. You know, it would be you know a place where someone would you know get to a point where they would just snap. Oh yeah. I mean, you, you go to Manhattan now and it's a theme park. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but, yeah, like, exactly. but, like, back in, yeah, back in the day, like, sort of, yeah. uh, like, almost, even going up to kind of, like, I think post 9-11 New York mm. became a lot more kind of sanitised. Uh, yeah. But but certainly when you go back into, I remember, I remember my mum used to live in America in the seventies and she used to tell me horror stories about like New York and yeah and how like there were certain areas where you just couldn't go and yeah I remember when I went to New York I was about ten or eleven so I don't remember it that well but um, I did go up the the World Trade Center and various other things yeah yeah so it must have been like what ninety eight ninety seven maybe we we were on the we were on the subway uh, me and my dad and a guy came over to us and he was like nice watch. My dad was like, what? Nice watch. That's a really nice watch. And it was a bit like, okay. Uh... And then they were like, where are you going? And they're like, oh, we're going to visit this you know, particular monument or, mm. you know, tourist attraction. Went, oh, no, wait, you've got to get off here. This is your stop. You've got to get off here. And they're like, oh, okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, thanks for that. Uh, you know, and it was a, it was a totally like, like there were, it was a friendly guy. He was yeah, a nice yeah. guy. But 
because he he'd approached in a, in a strange manner. Yeah, yeah. You know, it made my dad quite nervous, and you know, it's been being New York. He was obviously. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. being careful. Hack was raised, yeah. but again, but again, he was just he was he was just literally comment, commenting and complimenting my dad on his watch. But because of the reputation and the reputation of New York and the subway, that's where that came from. So that that's where that fear was kind of engendered, and that's it's because of that kind of seventies, eighties kind of crime epidemic that it had. Mm. You know? And I th- I think you've also um, uh, hit on a key point which. I think uh, is what will probably make the film work and what makes Joker so compelling is this idea of fear of the other, yes. uh, which has always motivated sort of uh, scary stories that make us scared. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's so much more scary if the other is could be any one of us. Yeah. And I think I think one of the reasons why the Killing Joke is one of the most successful Joker stories is mm. is this idea of okay, all it takes is one really really bad day. Yeah. And even though that thesis is proved wrong in the narrative, yeah, yeah. there's this idea of shit. Am I one bad day away from being the Joker? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's you're you know you could be a hop, skip, and a jump away. Maybe maybe not necessarily one bad day, but because we all have days where we upset. Like where we let ourselves down, or we scare ourselves a little bit, yeah. and you and you 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 have negative thoughts. You have you'll have a weird thought, and you'd be like, "Why the fuck would I think that? Yeah, Why yeah. the fuck would I would I want that to happen to somebody? Or you know, what the fuck? You would never actually do it, but your brain just all of a sudden just goes, Ugh. and it's there's nothing wrong with that. Your brain just says and does things that you don't you know never really understand be- because we're animals. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, and, and and as as animals, you we, have an we want, Yeah, as animals, we want to like create a nest protect ourselves mm. and and fuck eat, everybody else eat the food yeah. shit the food yeah. and <laughs> kill anything that gets in the way of that for an, for an example I often I will often have you know I mean Peep shows a great example for random weird thoughts oh yeah big that, time. that are very relatable you know um, you know they're just random thoughts but for example I, I once spoke to, uh, to one of my friends at university and I said do you ever have like random thoughts where you're like you're in a job interview and all of a sudden you're like I wonder what would happen if I punch this guy in the face you know i just like you would never do it you you you're like this first first of all you wouldn't get the job second of all you might get arrested you know so straight away you're going no that never happened but you do have this kind of narrative and you and you create this kind of i know i do anyway i create this kind of this fake you know world and i create this kind of my own little episode of a tv show or something and you know or i go oh what if this person just died how would that affect me, or where would that where would that lead me? And then I go on a kind of a ta- like my own little mental tangent, and kind of go and create this old fictionalization of this person that is not dead, is no nowhere near dying, but they've just died. And I'm like, oh yeah, this would be horrible, and this would happen, and that would happen. And it's like, no, that will never, you know, that's not true. But I kind of go, okay, back to real life. <laughs> Okay, so I think we've covered Joker going insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we both enjoyed it. Very much um, so, yeah, yeah, very much I, so. I would recommend it. I know it's on uh, CBR's master list of 75 best Joker stories. Wow, that's and a big old list. It's a big list. Uh, well, there's a lot of Joker stories. Yeah, yeah. Batman stories of each of the Joker. So I would highly recommend looking at that if you want to look for a decent Joker story. Um, but I'd like to talk about you and me. Okay. And our favourite 
um, interpretations of the Joker, favourite versions of the Joker from all types of media. Okay. Um, so I'll let you go first. Would you like to pick a comic, TV show, cartoon, movie? You go. Okay. Well, um, I mean, we need to talk about Killing Joke. Uh, yes. Because I think that's definitely. that's the first sort of port of call. Yeah, yeah. I think, and and also it's one of my first sort of exposures to sort of grown up comics. And I remember when I sort of first read it, it was before they kind of redid the coloring. Yes. Um, which I think personally for me worked to the detriment of the story because I think the fact that you have these bright, vivid primary sort of comic book colors and such a a a morally gray story, I think that was an effective juxtaposition. But fair enough, I I didn't write the thing, so I don't get to decide. Um, obviously, I don't even think Alan Moore decided that. Well, either. yeah, I think that was a Brian Bond thing, but um, I think Batman '89 obviously is a huge influence on me personally. Um, so uh, Jack Nicholson's Joker will always have a special plate in my heart. Uh, I think the whole mirror, mirror. <laughs> um, I, I think that's a phenomenal Joker yeah. scene. Um, and hubba hubba mo- hubba, <laughs> money, money, money. And, Who do you trust? But I think, I think, I think the whole idea of this sort of like this this kind of personality was always sort of bubbling under the surface, but it's the sort of the cataclyst with the acid and Batman that sort of brought it out I think mm. that, that that kind of worked very well for me uh, obviously I'm in love with Heath Ledger's version I'm in love yeah. with I'm certainly in love with Mark Hamill's version and the yes. fact that Mark Hamill's Joker has been extrapolated across so many different media, we've got yeah. like the sort of like the Batman the Animated series. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recently watched an episode uh, called um, "Oh Joker's Wild." Oh, that's uh, a good one. the that, casino one. Yes, yeah, that, that's, that's, a great a, one. that's a really good one because it's just got this idea of like Joker just being in Arkham Asylum, and they're all sort of like this kind of like one flew over the cuckoo's nest kind of scene where Poison Ivy's trying to watch TV and Joker's just being a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I, quite, I, I really like that. Um, uh, Batman Beyond Return of the Joker yes, um, that yes. came out when I think I was in my first year at university and I remember I remember like because I think Amazon was just becoming a thing in the country and I remember yeah. buying Batman Beyond Return of the Joker and Mask of the Phantasm of and Batman Sub-Zero at the same time well, um, Mask of the Phantasm is a good iteration of the Joker as oh, well oh yeah I yeah think. absolutely I think it's a really good it's really menacing like that that version of the Joker the Mark Hamill version of the original animated series is my favourite by far because it, it, it kind of has the jokey, weird, comical elements of kind of the the kind of mid-50s, 60s kind of campy yeah. Joker. It has that element, but there's also like... You, you see him kind of spin on a dime. Yeah, yeah, All yeah. of a sudden he's like, no! You know, and all that. And he's just really... That's um, that's the beauty of... Like, I think Mark Hamill, as we've discussed numerous times, is an actor's actor. And I mm. think he can he can take it wherever you need it to go and still retain yeah. everything that works about that version of the character. And I think, I think like, going back to um, Mask of the Phantasm, mm. I remember, like, I think one of the most Joker things in anything is there's this moment where, like, Batman's beating the shit out of the Joker and the... the building around them is blowing up and Joker just sees everything blowing up all around him and he just bursts out laughing and I think that's pretty much everything you need to know yeah, about the Joker it, right there um, There's some. I mean I, I would really would go, f- like if you're looking for a good Joker I would go to the animated series I think Joker's Favour is a really good one. Oh yeah yeah, um, yeah. Kind of, it also introduces Harley Quinn for the first time Yes. Yeah. Um, and it's all about him stalking this guy who cut him up in traffic? Yes, <laughs> and yeah. he basically just like he's like, I'm gonna learn everything about you. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna keep and, he, and he's like, you've changed your name, you've moved. He countries. just has this list of people I'm gonna fuck with at yeah. some point. Exactly, like <laughs> someone who's just 
pissed him off a little bit, and mm. and that, I think that's just amazing. Um, the Laughing Fish. Um, there's a comic, obviously the comic. Um, Marshall Rogers and Steve Englehart. Yeah, yeah from yeah. Uh, Strange Strange Apparitions is the collection, yes, yeah, yeah. which is a great collection anyway. Um, but that's really good. That has him going. He tries to he creates he poisons these fish, gives them the Joker grin, and tries to patent it. Yeah. And then he the guy goes, well, they're a natural resource, so you can't patent it. And he's like, well, you're gonna die. You know? <laughs> Colonel, what's his name? As chickens, they don't even have mustaches. <laughs> um, there's so many. I like, like honestly, like. I mean, the Joker isn't like my favorite Batman villain. I'd probably say maybe second or third in my in my tier. Okay. Um, but uh, I think Scarecrow for me is number one. Scarecrow okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Just because he's a great kind of foil. Again, like they the both master use of fear. fear in yeah, ways, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. And I, I really kind of I think that's a really cool concept. But yeah, he's really good. Uh, what else? Uh, I'm going to go into comics. So again, like we talked about, Laughing Fish is really good. I recommend the the Demon Laughs, which um, two of the best Batman villains of all time team up, and it's really unique and really interesting. It's uh, Ra's al Ghul or Ra's al Ghul, however you, however you want to pronounce it, uh, teams up with the Joker, and the Joker even beats him at chess okay. in the story. And it was one of the last stories drawn by the the amazing Jim Aparo, who's one of the classic kind of Batman artists, uh, drew quite a lot of the Nightfall saga mm-hmm. um, and various other classic Batman stories. Didn't he also do um, Lonely Place of Dying? Yes, yeah, he did. And Death of the Family, which is another great um, joke. Oh, no, story. sorry, I'm thinking of Death of the Family. Death yeah, of the yeah, Family, yeah. 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 Death so of Jason Todd, yeah. I, I think he did, yeah. So um, so that, that you know, has the Joker killing off Batman's uh, second sidekick, Jason Todd, who was Robin at that time. And that, that leads into another great comic book story, which is Under the Red Hood, yes. which is a Another great animated movie. Um, highly recommend that as well. Um, I've not read Death of the Family yet. Not finished it yet. Um, but I've heard that one's quite good. That's Scott Snyder. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's good. Yeah. It's really good. It's been a long time since I've read it. But it's, uh, I think, like, what, what Scott, like, because for, for quite a long time in that that sort of New 52 run, they left the Joker well alone. Mm. And I think Scott Snyder wanted to take his time on doing a Joker story that was really, really memorable. And, and yeah, yeah, that's that's probably one of the, the New 52 Joker is probably one of the yeah. scariest yeah. incarnations of the Joker you'll see. I think I think the Arkham games are really good. Oh, yeah, super, yeah, yeah. yeah. Again, it's, it's basically the animated series again, but in a kind of a video game form, so highly recommend that as well. Yeah, uh, all the... I, I, um, I mean, the, the Joker is all, will always be a, you know, a go-to for everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And especially in Batman stories. So. And he's such a chaotic character. He's a gift to writers as well because he can so. be pretty much whatever you want him to be. I think I think uh, one of my favourite Joker moments uh, is not in the comics, but it's like, how can you make your, how can you make your audience fall in love with a character with just one little magic trick yeah <laughs> with yeah. just one little disappearing yeah. pencil yeah so I remember, I remember seeing that in the cinema um, in the IMAX in Manchester and just being like holy shit yeah. they went there yeah and that is you know that's some, like again like um I think you were saying earlier about you don't have to show that kind of dark element. Like you didn't have to show any of that. Like no. gruesome. Like the what you see, the head going down, the pencil and everything. You don't actually see anything. No. It's all left up to your imagination. Uh, you know, intense and terrifying. Yeah, yeah. It's a big hitch. You don't thing, see. Like, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. The scariest thing is what the thing that happens in your head. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I think we've I think we've covered it. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, it's been a pleasure talking Joker with you. I'm I'm really glad that I got you back on. I know we kind of do these commentaries and stuff a lot, but I'm really glad I got you on to talk about a comic. Comic! Like, comics! <laughs> like we used to do, because I think that was one of the best things, the most enjoyable parts of Nerdify was going, this comic is amazing. Graphic novel of the week, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah graphic novel time. of the week, you know, and Josh would, you know, take his sweet time reading it. It was, he, our, it was our, basically, that was our sort of, like, excuse to educate Josh in the ways of pretty comics. Much, pretty much, much. Yeah, yeah, you would, like, you bring it like a DC one, I bring a Marvel one, and then I'd be like, I'm bringing a DC one, and you're like, well, I'll bring a Marvel one. Yeah, 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 so yeah totally. It yeah. was a lot of fun, and uh, and I think Josh, like for the most part, he enjoyed them. I think yeah, uh, yeah. for the most part, and but he, it was nice to get a kind of more of a like it's still a nerdy voice, but like an out, slightly outside the, the yeah, yeah. World. He's a nerd amongst nerds. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And uh, and I think it was it was a lot of fun, and I you know I I, I do miss those podcasts all all of us together, but um, I'm keeping that I'm keeping the fire alive. I'm yeah, keeping, yeah. Well, I, I'm always I'm always happy to uh, return to Prattle World whenever you, whenever you're happy to have me. And I, I, I as much as possible whenever I can fit you in. Uh, you know, obviously I like I like having as, as many kind of varied guests as I can. Yeah, and, yeah, big time. And talk about I I get the experts on for the subject. I get the experts on. So if oh, it's Batman, you. I get you on. Thanks, mate. You know, if somebody you know something else, not not necessarily just Batman, but all the other stuff. If I think if I think you you'll have something decent to say. I always this this is what I like. I like to learn and I like. It's to, nice to be considered knowledgeable about anything. Really, so <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. Whatever you have to give, I'll take it. <laughs> no problem. Well, uh, we're gonna round this up by telling you where to find ourselves on the social medias. So I believe you're at. DL at DL Ketis, that's K E A T I S, yeah. Yes, and that's on Twitter. Is that that's on, on Twitter. Can you yeah, find yeah. you? Can you find you that? Uh, uh, I'm on Instagram on under Instagram? the same yeah. name, I believe. Yeah, yes. yeah. But I, uh, if you like pictures of my hot toys, mm. um, that's pretty much all you're going to get. I'm afraid. I actually, do well. I mean, most people just put up pictures of their kids, so I can yeah, see yeah. that that's kind they're of my like babies. It. So yeah, babies. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. babies. <laughs> so that's fine. Um, you can find me uh, at. Good question. I can't even remember myself. <laughs> Secret Wars, isn't Secret it? Secret Wars! I've got to say, I've gone all wrong. I'm pretty sure you're secret underscore balls. Not that I'm stalking you or anything. Go on. Go on. Uh, you, you, and you know what? In fact, on Facebook, if you type in the search bar, I'm at Secret Balls. On Twitter, I'm Dan, at Dan underscore Oh, it's Dan Bores, yes. Sorry, sorry. Even I forgot, though. You, you gave it a good stab. You I tried, I tried. At least tried. You, got the under, you got the underscore. I didn't get any of it. I was Thanks, like, mate. what am I? Who am I again? Um, Instagram, it's Spider Dan Secret Balls. And this podcast is available on Podbean, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, and many, many more. Thanks again for joining us in Prattle World for another bit of prattle. I think we've we both prattled on enough. <laughs> prattled on. Prattled on. And keep prattling on, everybody. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye.